0: Hello and welcome to episode number 169 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, we're being joined by makeup artist Phyllis Cohen, who is also the founder of a business called Face Lace. This conversation with Phyllis was so fun. Phyllis is a makeup artist who started her career in the 1980s during the New Romantic era when her illustrative makeup appeared in magazines such as ID and she's worked her makeup magic on everyone from David Bowie and Lady Gaga to Sandra Rhodes. Aside from the fact that Phyllis is just such a lovely person with a really inspiring story to tell, the main reason I've got her on the show today is because she's also a great example of someone who's had an idea for a product that no one has ever made before. And through sheer determination and meeting the right UK manufacturer at the right time, she was able to get her idea to market. Her face lace, if you've not seen it before, is something to behold. It's elaborate makeup designs which can be applied in just a few seconds. They look really precise and symmetrical and they stay perfect until the wearer peels them off. The original designs that she did look like lace, hence the fact the name Face Lace. But other pieces in her collection include things like Swarovski crystals encrusted on them, pearls and holographic material as well. Now, in this conversation, we not only talk about how Phyllis developed her product with a UK manufacturer, but also about the terrible troubles she's had with copycats selling her products on Amazon and eBay and how she's overcome some of that counterfeiting that she's experienced. I will put some pictures of Phyllis's face lace in the show notes for this podcast, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 169. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Phyllis Cohen as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. Here you go, over to Phyllis. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I have been I've been so looking forward to this chat with you. I'm really excited. You're my first makeup artist on the podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, do you want to tell everyone how you first started your career? Okay. Um, I um, always drew faces from a very, very
1: young age. I was always totally fascinated by faces. Um, I decided when I was in my late teens, uh, eighteen, to study to be a fashion illustrator because I always drew figures and faces, and I was interested in fashion. So I um, did some research and I found um, a really great school in California called Art Center. And moved to Los Angeles with my parents' support. That's my cat.
0: (laughs) I can hear the cat. That's cats in the background are good. We love cats.
1: (laughs) Okay, so don't walk on my computer, please. Always walking on the
0: computer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Um, So what part of the states were you from originally? I was I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Yep, so not a lot of um, sort of extreme fashion happening there. <laughs> um, no, so big move to move to LA. Yes, yes. And um, I, I went to a fantastic school. Um, the school is renowned um, for all sorts of things. Um, it has a very big product design department, it has a car design department. Um, we studied a lot of advertising. Um, we had fantastic teachers for life drawing portrait drawing um oil painting color theory lettering um everything you know um uh, we were i was trained incredibly well um and that was a fantastic time to learn uh, my craft really and um the skill i had in makeup really came directly out of the training i had as an illustrator um You know, we, we, Mm. this was in the like 1980s. So it was even before something called Letraset was invented. Um, So I know what Letraset is. Yeah. (laughs) So we had to learn how to paint letters. And, um, you know, we, um, one of the assignments we had was to paint the words, California grapes for three months. And they were about an inch high, the letters and every edge had to be absolutely perfect. And they were judged by, you know, someone looking at them with um, a magnifying glass. And, yeah, this is what I worked wow. on. I know, like crazy, eh? But because of but that... But you must... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of that kind of training, when I did lines as a makeup artist, you know, they were perfect. Um, and yeah. So, you must
0: be so dexterous with a brush.
1: Yes, you know, so... Um, so the, the, I made a transition while I was at art school because as well as having, you know, all these amazing departments of product design, car design, photography, film, fine art, you know, illustration, advertising, um, they they had a very, very excellent fashion photography department. Um, and I used to go down and make friends with the fashion photographers and ask them if I could do makeup on their class assignments and the quality ah. of the photography was so good that all the model agencies used to send models to the school to get you know, new headshots done all the time. So ah. I just had a really fantastic, easy introduction into the world of makeup by um, palling up with the photographers in the fashion photography department that even while at school they were beginning to get assignments and they continued to use me when they made the transition from being a student to working professionally so you know I had a very very wonderful introduction um and of course this was way 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 before retouching so the fact that I could do these perfect lines and perfect blends and stuff like that um went really well with what was happening in the
0: industry in that time um And I saw on your website because this was in the 80s, wasn't it? Like, I was a new romantic back in the early 80s. (laughs) And I looked on your website and saw some really impressive um, makeup that you did, and also some illustrations that you did in the early 80s when it was very colorful, kind of peacock makeup, wasn't it? On both men and women. Yeah, in fact,
1: um, the kind of makeup that I really enjoyed doing, which ended up being very like an illustration, and at the beginning I was painting backgrounds and making costumes, and um, they really did look more like an illustration than a a photograph. Um, And, you know, uh, there wasn't really much of an avenue for that, but it was what I really, really loved to do. Uh, And in California at the time, it was mostly um, music and um, sportswear. So not a great sort of, um, you know, end point for the stuff that I love doing. So I decided, mm. um, in 1982 to go to Europe to see, you know, if I would have better response there. And on the way I went to New York and even they said, no, this is way too weird for us. You know, you've got to go to New York and- <laughs> <Go> to London. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fact, they said, um, I said I was uh, going to Milan because some of the photography friends I um, had met at art center They had already moved to Milan to be involved in the fashion world there. So that was going to be my first stop. Um, And in New York, I had a few people say, listen, these are the people you need to go see. So that was fantastic. They gave me a few uh, contacts. When I got there, I um, called the people and they were the right people. And um, I met an amazing woman um, called Anna Piaggi who is yes. kind of, oh, do you know She's like the Italian mm-hmm. Diana Vreeland, but like if you kind of, I mean, she's really a genius. Um, who, she's kind of like a combination of Anna Vreeland and Isabella Blow and um, maybe a tiny bit of Kent, Quentin Crisp. I mean, just an extraordinary, mm-hmm. amazing, inspiring woman. Anyway, she kind of took me under her wing and she started introducing me and calling people, Um, And I stayed in Milan until August of 1982. And then everything closes down in Milan for the month of August. So I thought, well, I'll go to London, see what's happening there. Um, And I hit London just at the almost peak of the New Romantic era. And um, they absolutely got what I was doing and they loved it. So I um, quickly started to work with Steve Strange, who uh, was the head singer of Visage. Um, And I met a fantastic photographer called Robin Beach, who sadly has passed um, due to a cancer, which was very, very sad about five years ago. But she knew everybody. And Steve Strange, of course, was incredibly connected because of his, um, you know, music. And, you know, he ran all the coolest nightclubs. So, you know, he um, kind of got the whole Blitz crowd interested in me, and through that I started to work with uh, Annie Lennox, and I worked with uh, Tina Turner, who made a comeback in, I think it was 1983, Um, and I continued to work with her for um, nearly a decade. And um, yeah, I had, oh, and I worked with David Bowie, which was very, very exciting, of course, you know. That must it, have been incredible. Oh, oh, incredible, because of course he was my <laughs> idol growing up, as, you know, any estranged teenager had, you know, he was like everyone's, um, I don't know, just a huge inspiration, you know, to embrace your otherness, you know.
0: Yeah. And so we've been in involved in that whole blitz era because i was a was a teenager so i could only kind of look up in awe and i never got to go to to the blitz because i was just a bit too young and my mum wouldn't let me go um so that must have been really fun to be involved in all of that
1: yes i mean i i just missed the blitz club as well but i did go to the wag club quite a lot
0: yeah on wardour street yeah 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 exactly did you make it there
1: no, no, I was just a
0: little bit too young. Some of my <laughs> friends did. Their parents were more lenient than mine. Yeah, yeah. But all of that makeup really inspired me. So that was, that was obviously coming from you, which is just incredible. Well, so that, I can't uh, take what? all the credit. Of, in <laughs> fact, um, you know, when
1: I first came to London, I had discovered through meeting my photography friend, Robin Beach, that uh, the makeup artist who had done a lot of uh, Steve Strange's original makeup uh, for Visage, in fact, the video of Visage, which is amazing, mm. um, yeah. is a really super talented makeup artist called Richard Shara. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was Australian. And he had decided, like, a few months before I arrived to move back to Australia. So, you know, my timing was impeccable and incredibly lucky. And I ended up um, sort of filling a gap that he had created in the market. So that was, Mm. you know, incredibly lucky for me. Um, And I I can't say that I filled his boots, but I sort of made uh, my own mark that had Mm. similarities to what he um, created because he was also, excuse me, he also came from a painting background. So we had quite a a similar kind of sensitivity.
0: Mm. Yeah. So at what point did the, the, the face lace start taking shape in terms of being something that you applied to the face other than just your traditional cosmetics? Yes. Um,
1: well, um, ever since even the 80s, I mean, still we're talking about absolutely no retouching happening except, you know, mm. um, like tiny bits of airbrushing and like maybe by a paintbrush. Um, But it always didn't look good. So people preferred not to use retouching. Um, You know, our retouching was pushing the film half a stop. And, of course, film film, not digital (laughs) film. Yeah. So basically retouching was um, increasing the exposure by half a stop. That was retouching. Um, So, um, you know, it took a long time to do makeup because it had to be so perfect. And same with hair. You know, so we were taking like four hours. I was doing like four-hour makeup jobs. The hairstylist was taking uh, five or six hours. So we we weren't even taking the first Polaroid until like five p.m. in the afternoon. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, crazy. But that was it. Was actually normal. Um, but then I think you know, um, people started to rebel and say it was just taking too long, and um, <laughs> so I I started even in the eighties trying to think of ways to. Um, do something elaborate, but much quicker. And I had to, uh, I mean, this was forced into, um, existence because, um, I met the fantastic Zandra Rhodes, incredible mm-hmm. inspiration, incredible designer, incredible artist. And she asked me to do uh, her fashion shows. And of course I had this, um, desire to do really elaborate stuff, but I had like 18 models to do. So I started to, uh, play around with latex and beading because of course you know her clothes are so beautifully beaded and um you know she creates all her own silk screens for the fabrics so i wanted to mimic you know the incredible detail that she had on inner dresses on the face somehow so yes i started to play around with latex and bits of fabric and just basically sticking things on the face that were already pre-made to be elaborate and could be um added to the makeup to create really dramatic effects, you know, in sort of 15 minutes rather than four hours. So that was really the start of it. Uh, and then I, I, I really loved what that could do. So I started to play around more and more and use sort of handcrafted stick on makeup elements for editorials and, um, Advertising and celebrities, and so that's how it started. And in fact, um, at at the end of one of Zandra's fashion shows, a buyer, I think it was from Bergdorf Goodman, found me and said, "Can can you market those?" And I was like, I had no idea back then, like how how I would even do it because I was spending like three hours on one piece to get it
0: mm-hmm. to be right.
1: Um, so, but it, of course, this kind of stuff stuck in my head. Yes, I was asked to do um, a campaign for a cosmetic company called Miner's Cosmetics. And Mm. they asked me to do um, signs of the zodiac. So they wanted a 12-month campaign that ran in a magazine called Looks Magazine, I believe.
0: I remember. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And um, so, yeah, we started, I can't remember which astrological sign we started, but it was a 12-month campaign. And these were the ones that were sort of like four hours for the makeup, six hours for the hair, Polaroids at five or six. You know, the photographer (laughs) would have done a whole other job by the time we finished the hair and makeup. Uh, And after the first few came out, um, you know, they began to get a lot of letters saying, you know, people liked it. Um, But one of the letters they got, which, of course, is the one I remember, is that somebody wrote in and said, you know, I could never do this. Um, you know, I could never recreate this. And they and kind of felt that it was unfair to show this kind of stuff because, you know, it's just impossible for like 99% of the population to be able to recreate yeah. it. And that kind of stuck in my head, too. <laughs> so because past- you'd
0: had all those you'd had all those years of training of how to be so dexterous with a brush and most of us when we're applying any sort of makeup are really cack-handed and it's all all our eyeliner lines are all wonky (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and 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 to be honest you know i wasn't actually using their products i was using like pro theatrical products you know Mm. um who have um you know special products for doing detailed painting on the skin So in a way, it was quite unfair to um, put these things out in the world, Um, yes, for inspiration, but to um, advertise that by using their products, you'd be able to achieve that. No, that was a bit unfair, really. Yeah, Um, fair enough. Yeah. But, um, you know, aside from the letters that were very positive, of course, I remember this one where somebody said, I'll never be able to do this. Um, So fast forward. Oh, how many years is that? Like thirty years into um sort of like twenty ten.
0: Um, oh gosh. So it was that much it was that much later when yeah. when you first thought about actually developing the physical product for yeah, people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I began to see um on the catwalk that a lot of makeup artists were sticking things on the face, you know, to in order to achieve sort of exciting elaborate effects. And I thought, oh, you know, all this time later. I thought, okay, if I'm going to do any kind of business, now's the time to pursue this. So um, I had uh, in the 10 years previous also um, been doing a lot of work as a body painter and Again, there was always time constraints, always, always. So, and because of my painting background, I was the person, the makeup artist that people would come to if they needed really elaborate body painting done, whether it was a tattoo or they needed me to paint some sort of scene on, on someone's back or um, all sorts. Uh, and of course, the first question that I would be asked in an interview for each job was, A, can you do it? And B, how long? Because, you know, Mm. there's always time constraints. Um, And one of the projects I worked on was uh, for a fantastic art director called Storm Thorgerson, who um, was the head artist for Hypnosis, who did all the album cover art and all the art for Pink Floyd. And he, I worked with him a few times, and he asked me to do um, paintings of six selected album covers for Pink Floyd, on six models backs and it became this poster that's quite well known. And I can't remember the albums, but there was um, Adam Hart mother and the one with the pig flying over Battersea park as it was. Mm. <laughs> um, there's some one. Yeah. So they're quite a lot, the, the one where the guys that are in flames uh, shaking hands. I can't remember the name of the album covers anyway. So he wanted me to paint these six album covers on six different backs but he said, listen, Phyllis, we only have the location for eight hours, so you only have six hours to paint these backs. So I thought, oh, my God, Gosh. how am I going to do this? So I, I remembered a friend of mine in Los Angeles who was a silkscreen artist, and I thought, hmm, if I could make layers of stencils that I could, like, put colors through the way a silkscreen artist works, then maybe I could do it. So um, this was done in 1986, uh, and I created all these stencils. I first made paintings of each of the album covers in exactly the size that would fit on a back. And then I broke down the paintings into layers of colors and I made a stencil for Gosh. each color layer. Um, so that each... must have
0: taken ages. Oh yeah, that
1: took ages. But see, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I, I quite like a challenge. And um, for me, if I can get a really good result, For me, it's worth spending like 300 hours beforehand so that I know that on the day I can get the best result that I possibly can. Because the worst thing, I think, for me as an artist is to um, get a job, Um, you know, you have a specific time to do it in, and the time runs out and you look at it and you're just like kicking yourself saying, oh my God, if only I'd had like two more hours, if only I'd had one more hour, you know, that feeling is just the worst. So for me, I would much, much rather spend whatever time it takes to do all the preparation and know that I'm going to get a result that I'm really, really happy with. So um, in the sort of years before I had the idea for face lace, I had been creating all these stencils many thousands and thousands of these stencils Mm. because, uh, once I did the Pink Floyd back catalog poster, um, I became known as the body painter that could do things very quickly. And of course that's valuable, right? So, um, I was cutting all these stencils by hand and then I found, um, a a machine that could cut it for me. And I was like, Oh my God. So I got that laser
0: cutting machine. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, And so I started to do all these stencils using that. Uh, And then I kind of put all these ideas together because this cutting machine could make these really um, elaborate and delicate shapes. And, you know, my stencils were getting more and more so delicate and beautiful. And people were beginning to say, wow, you know, these stencils are really incredible. Um, And I kind of put it all together with what I've been doing in the 80s and began to play around. And, uh, the thing that was the most difficult was finding my material because of course something like it exists in the signed vinyl industry, but, Mm. um, of course that's not hypoallergenic. So I had to find, um, the hypoallergenic adhesive to use and then find all the top layers separately and put it together. And that took like about a year of research. And, um, I mean, I I really didn't have any idea what I was even looking for. So the first thing I ever searched on Google was something like, what do you call putting two layers of material together? I mean, that's how um, naive I was about the whole process. Um, Yes,
0: because you were basically inventing a product that didn't exist. Yes. And you weren't coming from a manufacturing background. Which is, so Google is the first place that a lot of people start.
1: Yeah, and thank God for Google. I mean, if I'd started in the '80s, I don't know what I would have done. Yes. Yeah. So what happened next? Um, so I, I, after like a few hours research, I, I realized okay, that's called laminating, and then I, I started <laughs> to look up okay, what are people that do laminating called? Okay, like a few hours. Okay, they're called converters. Okay, so and then Brilliant. I so then I started. I got a list of converters. And I um, emailed about 50 of them and I asked the question, can we, is there a way to make a hypoallergenic version of signed vinyl? And um, like 39 of them just didn't uh, answer back. Eight of them said, no, it can't be done. And one of them... Uh, emailed back and said, yes, I think I can help you work that out. And that was um, a amazing. wonderful company in Wales. Shout out to ABM and Cyril and Gareth Bowden, who uh, have been there oh, for amazing. me. Yeah, Who so I still use. Uh, and they helped me work it out. With the aid of the cutter company, who I was sending samples back to, so I had this sort of three-way thing going that, you know, they were trying different adhesives for me, and I was, you know, putting they were putting top layers and bottom layers together, and we were sending it to the cutting uh, factory, and they just thought I was completely mad because, you know, sign <laughs> Vinyl, um, the adhesive is not so sticky, whereas mine is really sticky. But that's why it works mm. so well because it's super, super, super sticky. Um, yeah, so the cutting company just thought I was insane and they just kept saying, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. And I'm going, yeah, it's working. It's great. And they're like, you're completely crazy. So, um, yeah, we launched the first collections with, um, me and my team that I had trained actually like using, um, you know, a very large version of, well, you know, a, a sort of cutting machine that we could do sort of like hundreds at once. Um, well, over a but day uh, or so. So we were ma- kind of hand-producing most of the ones using the cutting machine and then, like, hand-removing all the parts that w- were waste, right? Mm. Um, uh, but then I um, – it it made a, a sort of um, – um, a lid on how much we could produce, you know, because um, – Yeah, because you were doing it all in house. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, And then we started to look at who might be able to help us, um, and especially, um, yeah, we we began to get interest from people who wanted to do private label versions. So a few years ago, we began to work with UK factories, um, and they were very, very willing to you know do the hard work with us and do a lot of trialing. It wasn't easy. You know, they had to figure out how to strip the waste, which we had been doing by hand. Um, Mm. And, you know, some of the designs were just way too complicated. Um, And that's why we still do some of our designs by hand and some of them by factory. And of course the Oh, ones really? That,
0: you still do some of them by hand? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, because some of them are like five layers, um, precisely layered on top of each other. And, I mean, yes, we could probably find um, a factory method to do it, but it would be very expensive, you know, to work that out. So, mm. um, yeah, some of them we're still doing by hand and some of them we're doing by factory. And, yeah, so it was always my dream to be able to um, get them done in, in Britain, Because at the very beginning, I did find a company that was doing like nail decals. And um, they did some samples for me. And and yes, they were cut well, but uh, the quality of them, in terms of their adhesion and the way that they worked on the skin was, was really not good. And, you know, they, they were so, um, persistent. They kept saying, yes, but you know, you can make it cheaper. And I'm going, yes, but it doesn't work.
0: No, it's not about the price. It's about the quality. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, um, I always knew that that option was there, but I just was never happy with it. Um, and I did try to get one factory, uh, in the far East to work with my adhesive and it just, It was a huge mess because they just couldn't do it properly and they ended up having to get a team of people to do it by hand and they got really fed up and so they only fulfilled like a third of the order and even within that third of the order they filled... Half of them were, you know, pieces missing or pieces put upside down. And it was just, oh, forget
0: it, you know, it like a mess. So you, so that's interesting. So you started off by finding these UK manufacturers that helped you develop the ideas, even though they, they thought you were crazy, yeah. which I love. And then when when you went to, to China to try and thinking that that might be the route to go down – But that didn't work out then. So just tell me a little bit more about about that. There
1: are people that make um, stuff like nail decals, you know, that you stick on your nails. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was also a company that was doing eyeliners. Um, But I think what they were doing, they were sort of punching out the whole thing and then applying adhesive afterward, which, of course, would make it much easier. Right. But the adhesive that they were applying was not effective, you know. Um, I guess because it was like a spray on adhesive rather than like an actual layer of adhesive. I don't know Hmm. exactly. But, um, yeah, I knew that they were actually punching it out and then adding adhesive after. So it just, you know, it just wasn't effective. You know, it would stay on Hmm. for like sort of a few minutes and then begin to peel off. So, I mean, that's just just not good enough, you know.
0: No. So do you go and visit your factories in the UK when you're doing this development work?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, not
1: during lockdown, but um, definitely uh, before lockdown. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, Mm. it's so fantastic to be able to sit across a table from a technician, and to hear, you know, what works for them, what doesn't, like little tweaks that we have to do. And so I can keep that in mind for designing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing.
0: Mm. So for those people listening that may not be aware of what exactly what face lace is do you want to describe (laughs) what your product looks like because people might be thinking what is this crazy (laughs) stick on stuff that she's talking about with (laughs) adhesive why would I want to stick that on my face
1: um so the first collection that I brought out was just um just very elaborate designs in black um and of course our product is called face lace because the first designs did look a bit like sticking you know very very intricate black lace on your face
0: Um, Hmm. But then our
1: customers started to say to us, can you make them in colors? Um, And this um, created a bit of a challenge until I found this amazing top layer, um, which, uh, what do they call it? I think it has quite a few different names. I think it's called dichroic. Um, So it has this amazing color shifting property. That you look at it from one way, it looks pink. You look at it from another way, it looks sort of yellowy green. You look at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So we found that, and and we started to make quite simple designs out of that. And that was a huge hit. Uh, And, in fact, it was used by many, many uh, pro makeup artists working on celebrities um, because, again, it's quick. And on stage and, and on video and photography, it just looks really thrilling. You know, it looks like mm. you have diamonds on your eyelids, basically. But it's just this little, little, tiny strip of this amazing material that's just st- uh, stuck around the eyes. So, um, so we we do everything from quite elaborate designs to quite simple shapes that just add. Um, it's like if, if <laughs> it's like if you had a makeup artist that came to you. And was able to spend five hours painting an intricate design on your eyes um, with eyeliner. Yeah, with an eyeliner brush in black. Mm. That's kind of what my product does, except you don't have to pay somebody to spend five hours painting it on you. You can just peel it off and stick it on.
0: That, and you've sorry. had a whole host of celebrities, haven't you? So th- that's probably where people were most like to have seen it because you've had a lot of celebrities and pop stars wearing it in their videos. Who's been the most fun clients to work with?
1: Well, I don't uh, work directly with the celebrities. I work with their pro makeup artists. So mm. one of the first um, celebrities who wore it a lot uh, was Lady Gaga, And that connection was made through her wonderful um, makeup artist, uh, Sarah Tano. And I think one of the most notable projects we worked on was um, (laughs) Sarah contacted me, Sarah Tano, the makeup artist. And she said, Phyllis, do you have anything that um, could be taken off really, really quickly and leave the makeup underneath undisturbed? And I just um, made a design that was adhered to the skin only at the side of the nose and the temple area so I thought okay well yes you know sir I do have something I've just designed it's sort of like um um it's kind of like if you had a masquerade mask right but you chopped it in half and the eyes were separate it was kind of like that and she said okay and I showed her okay can you cover it with crystals for me so I was like, okay. <laughs> so this was <laughs> love probably, a yeah, uh, this was probably like on a Friday. And she said, okay, I need it in L.A., next saturday at the absolute latest so you know over the next few days i was doing these variations and sending her pictures and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you know color changes and you know doing all these you know trials back and forth back and forth finally on wednesday she said okay this is the one i want can you do like 10 of them so like we stayed up all night thursday we got them sent off on friday i mean this is really tight right by FedEx, because <laughs> it's the, the only industry thing. though isn't it yeah. the music industry yeah uh yeah exactly always yesterday they want it yeah uh, and so um i i knew that she got it i mean we were just like like practically like having heart attacks right like is it coming is there are you gonna get it so i knew she got it like saturday afternoon and it was uh for her super for gaga's super bowl performance in 2016 i believe or 2017 And, um, you know, you send these things and then you never know if it's actually going to be used, you know, because uh, with celebrities and I know from my own experience that sometimes you'll make all this stuff and the celebrity will just go, you know, I'm just not feeling it, you know, (laughs) so we're just (laughs) going to leave it. So I didn't know that it was going to be used. So um, I thought, OK, I'm going to watch Twitter. I'm going to, like, you know, see what's happening on Twitter because that's the most immediate social media you know, to sort of keep yeah. track of what's happening. So I think I stayed up till like 3 a.m. on the Saturday of the Super Bowl, like halftime uh, performance. And at about 3 a.m., I start, uh, people are tweeting, you know, what she got in her eyes, what she got in her eyes. So I was like,
0: yes, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. And of course, millions of people watch the Super Bowl in the States. Don't yeah, they? exactly. worldwide. And the thing that was really satisfying
1: is that, um, So this whole Super Bowl performance lasted, I think, for about nine minutes, perhaps. And after the first sort of four minutes, she goes off stage just for a minute and she comes back to her piano. She doesn't have these sparkly things on her eyes. Now, a lot of people won't notice it, but all the makeup artists are like, what?
0: like what how, where they gone yeah like how did that oh a, yeah of like, course cuz they thought it was yes <laughs> they thought it was hand drawn on yeah so um yeah that it
1: became a big deal within the makeup community like that was the first ever like quick makeup change you know um so that was really exciting to be part of that and and some people who were familiar with our company was like I know it was faceless. I know it was faceless.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so did the whole business blow up really fast after that? Um, it it that did.
1: It, you know, we've had our success little by little, which um, is it's just lovely, you know, because I think uh, we're quite trusted within the pro makeup community. And people, um, some people are, are like aware of my background. So they know that, you know, all the innovation and all the design and everything comes from somebody who really knows the industry inside out. Um, um, I, a lot of people yeah. who know me know that I have an absolute uh, obsession with faces. You know, I love faces. I've drawn them. I've painted them. I've sculpted them, you know, everything about them. Um, and I, uh, I love to do research. Uh, I even went back to art school and got a master's degree in fine art, during which time I really um, did a lot of research on the whole um, – science of why we're attracted to beautiful faces so uh, you know this is like (laughs) there's almost like no area unturned uh, for me of understanding our relationship to beauty and makeup and faces and everything you know so you know the designs that i create really come out of uh, a place of deep profound passion for my subject Mm. you know i really love makeup i really love faces uh i want to know everything about them and study everything.
0: Mm. So you've had some um counterfeiting and some people copycatting your product. That must have been really upsetting for you.
1: Yes. And in fact it was my wonderful team in Wales, you know, my my first um supporters who said Phyllis, yeah. you know, you better watch out. This is gonna be copied. And I I didn't really um fully appreciate what they were trying to tell me Um, because at the beginning I didn't really understand about copywriting all my designs or anything like that or registering them or anything. Um, And sure enough, within about two years, um, I started to see copies all over Amazon and eBay. And, you know, I mean, it is really depressing Um, when they're using your photos. um, They're using pictures of your design. They're using all of my press. To sell their products. Gosh, they're using your images to sell their products. All the time. Even, like, pictures of me at, like, trade shows they were using to sell, you know, the copies. I mean,
0: just... And where were they making these counterfeits? Not in your UK factories. Oh, no.
1: No, i mean Mm. somewhere in the far east but i don't know where exactly because you know it's so difficult to find these people so i mean we did spend about a year trying to um shut down what all the copies that we could find on amazon but it's really exhausting work you know i mean when we did get amazon to cooperate and um you know remove uh someone who was infringing our designs um Mm. they would just pop up again a week later under a different name and you know re-register Ugh. everything. So it just became really, really frustrating. Um, but we did <clears throat> have a proper, uh, a really big problem with an American cosmetic company, um, who, uh, copied our designs and, um, you know, we, we had to take them to court and that was, um, after about a year long battle and they had literally exactly copied our designs. Um, And we did win that case. And I think that that did um, scare some of the manufacturers not to do that again because they must have got into a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw that you're a member of ACID. Yes. um, To to kind of encourage people. I think that's great that you've got that on your website. Absolutely. It's really shocking in this day and age that people will, especially, you know, recognised companies like you just mentioned will copy, you know, artists like yourself and people that make products with no scruples whatsoever. They have no shame in copying an original product from someone.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I did go to a really interesting um, uh, IP conference in Brussels. And I'm honestly, the stories I heard were really shocking and they made my story seem really insignificant. Um, So, I mean, obviously it's a huge, huge global problem. And, I mean, you know, I did speak to people from uh, huge companies and they said, you know, I mean, if you can, um, you know, do worldwide IP registration on a few products that are really key to your brand. Otherwise, you just have to just try to be better. So, I mean, yeah. that was really my mantra to try to be better. So we started to do um you know designs that had multiple layers and you know combinations because i know that is more difficult you know so those are the ones that we do by hand Um, and then we also do ones that um, you know uh, are very particular to us so i think by uh, having this combination and also we um you know because of this combination of the way that we work that we do some by hand and some by factory It allows us to be able to produce a lot of designs, Um, and of course now I register everything. I register everything in the EU, UK, and uh, America. You know, so and and I haven't really had that much problem since I've been registering um, all my designs with the IPO offices. You know, in the EU, UK, and um, America. So I don't know if that was the answer, but certainly it has stopped. For the yeah, most part, brilliant. You know, they still copy um, my very first original designs, which I didn't have enough sense to copy right from the beginning. Uh, but as far as new designs, they don't really copy them.
0: So they almost know which ones they can go after and copy. Yeah. By copying the ones yeah. that aren't. I, I mean, isn't Shocking. that interesting?
1: So somebody must hmm. they must pay attention to that. So I would really recommend to everybody, you know, who's a designer. I mean, not I'm not an expert at all. But from my own experience, for sure, when I started to register all the designs, the copying really um, diminished hugely.
0: Interesting. So, Phyllis, you've been through quite a journey here in developing your products, right? From that first time you got onto Google and started kind of doing (laughs) that research about what the heck it was that you were going to try and you know, how you were going to turn this into a a commercially made product. What advice would you give other creatives who had ideas for an unusual product about where to start and how to develop their products?
1: Well, first, um, not to be afraid, because honestly, um, if you ask somebody who has known me for a really long time, Um, if, if they thought I could do this, they would go, Phyllis, are you kidding? (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, because, um, you know, and it really interesting, you know, a few friends of mine that, you know, I hadn't seen for a while, you know, and I said, oh, I started a business. They were like, really you, (laughs) because I am a bit ditzy and, you know, I have this like crazy creative brain that doesn't think in a linear style. It thinks very laterally, um, but, you know, there will always be people who can help you. You just have to find them, you know, and, and generally. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and generally um, people, if you find the right people, you know, they, they quite like a challenge. And that was, I think, why, you know, my contact in Wales, I just found somebody that liked a challenge. That's mm. it. You know, he was like, oh, this is a good challenge. I think I'll get involved in this. And, and that's all you need is the one or two people to say, yep, I'm going to I'm gonna go for this with you. I, I want to
0: see if this works too, you know. Yeah, they'll uh, go with you on that journey. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I really had, you know, very little business sense. In fact, I mean, to be honest, like none. <laughs> you know, I spent my career as a freelance makeup artist where, you know, I had an agent, they did all my invoicing. I just had to turn up and do the job and go home and that was it. So to actually start a business was quite challenging because there was so much mm. I didn't know. Um, and I work with a fantastic, fantastic business advisor now called Rebecca Kutz. And she's the one that has helped us um, secure private label commissions. And we've done some fantastic private label commissions. We're working on new ones. You know, so um, again, uh, and I found Rebecca through the UKTI Which is the UK Trade and Industry Board. And they recommended I go to these business development sessions. And, you know, so there's stuff out there. And like the British Mm. Library has fantastic resources. So, you know, there is stuff out there to help people. Uh, And uh, yeah, it takes a lot of work, uh, but it's really exciting. I mean, I'm so glad I did this now you know, because it's given me so much confidence that I could actually do it. I mean, with a billion mistakes. And um, Mm. I remember at the beginning, it it did feel very frustrating because I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. But in hindsight, uh, I think, thank God, it took much longer than I wanted it to because it made me slow down and think much more carefully about each decision I had to make along the way
0: i think that's interesting that you said that you felt like you know you you had to slow down a bit and take your time because that's so true i think so often people try and develop a product and they want it on the market like yesterday Mm. and actually to develop a really fantastic product and and have great relationships and partnerships with your manufacturer you do need to take it a step at the time yeah and listen to their advice because if you try and rush something and do too much right at the start it, it can almost you know be the the whole business will will not work because you've tried to to take too many steps at once I think that's that's really great advice what's been the hardest part of your whole journey
1: Mm, I think learning how to run a business you know um, (laughs) because I have such a a sort of um which one is it is a right brain the artistic brain um and yeah I, I I don't think linear in a linear style. So I know that sometimes the people who work with me and work for me, you know, they're uh, like I'll throw them a million ideas at once and they'll be going like, whoa, 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 you know. <laughs> You're because all over the place. Uh, yeah, my, my brain is like, <laughs> that's the way my brain works. It, it sort of puts together all these disparate elements all the time, which is, I think, you know, kind of what makes me creative. But in terms of like um, being able to work with me and get something done in a sort of um, disciplined linear style from A to B, you know, I had to learn how to convey that to somebody else and um, listen to them and, and work together as a team.
0: Um, so, where can people um, buy your products? Are they available commercially as well as um, just for makeup artists? Aren't they? Oh yes,
1: yes, yes. We uh, obviously we sell on our website, but we also have uh, quite a few stockists in America. In fact, um, I'd say probably like at least seventy five percent of our sales are in California to all the celebrity makeup artists. How funny! Yeah. And um, it's gone around full circle. Yep. Uh, So we we've had a fantastic stockist in Los Angeles called Nigel's Beauty Emporium, which is a hub for all the pro makeup artists. And in fact, it's quite close to um, some of the film studios. And they have been um, selling our stuff for, gosh, must be nine years now. I think um, they became a stockist within our first year. And they were probably one of our first American stockists, if not the first Mm. American stockist.
0: Yeah. And in the UK, where where can people buy face lace in the UK? Um, Is it mainly from your website?
1: Yes, but also uh, we have a very uh, good relationship with Kryolan, which is a pro makeup company that also has um, stores all over the world. So they buy from us and send it to various franchises all over the world. Uh, They also sell through um, uh, one of their off branches called Screen Face, another pro makeup shop called Tilt, another one called Guru Makeup,
0: Phyllis, yeah. you have been the most amazing guest. No. I I love your story. It's just it's just wonderful. It's been it's been really great to talk to you. And I'm so glad. I mean, Canada's loss and our gain that you moved to the UK <laughs> and developed all this here in in Britain. It's Absolutely. fantastic. Well, you know, Britain was the place. You know,
1: as I said at the very beginning, that they understood. My sort of eccentricity, and I do love Britain for that, you know that it has this um, em- it embraces the eccentric, and that's why you know I we always, certainly do yeah, I always loved it from the first sort of day that I, I moved here. you know, I came here when it was like um, you know punks with rainbow Mohicans walking down the road and it was just so thrilling to see people who had such <laughs> uh, a- incredible self-expression going on
0: brilliant oh phyllis thank you very much for joining me today thank you kate it's been really fun you have been a superstar oh bless you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the make it british podcast i make an episode every tuesday and friday plus there are bonus episodes occasionally so make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.